Hey guys, welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. I am a fashion blogger turned podcaster. And on this podcast, I talk about all things life, work, and love as a single woman in my 30s. From sharing recent recs and reviews and answering listener questions to discussing fun, relevant topics for women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond, you can consider Beck and Call a weekly catch up with your internet bestie. In keeping with my type A personality, each episode follows the same structure with dedicated segments you can rely on week after week. So without further ado, let's get into it. Y'all, I feel like so much has happened and yet nothing has happened in the last week. I spent the first half of the week playing catch up after two weeks away. So I literally did nothing but work until Thursday night. Even though my social plans didn't pick up until the weekend, I actually have a lot to share with you guys. Just as a heads up, if you're new to listening to this podcast, I start every episode with a recap of the past week. Then I do a segment featuring new recs and reviews, followed by a conversation on a dedicated topic or there's a guest interview. And then I close out each episode with a listener Q&A slash advice segment. I like to think of the format of this show kind of like a morning show. There's lots of variety, but I follow the same structure each week. So with that said, let's dive into what I did last week. I spent my entire day, Monday and Tuesday, working on podcast content, which included recording with a guest remotely for the first time ever. I'd never done an interview over Zoom and truth be told was pretty anxious going into it. Even though I did as much preparation as possible, there are so many elements to a remote interview that are just out of your control. So like internet connectivity, technical difficulties, sound quality on the guest's end, recording malfunctions, you name it, anything could go wrong. So I started getting pretty nervous and jittery like 15 minutes before, but it actually ended up going super smoothly and I'm really happy with how the audio turned out. The only issue we had while recording was that after 30 minutes of talking for free, Zoom makes you sign up for a plan or quit the call and start over. And I've never hosted calls longer than 30 minutes. So this has never happened to me. (laughs) So I had no idea that that was coming and it took several minutes for me to get past the paywall to keep the interview going. The rest of it went as planned. And luckily that break was easy to cut out, but I was like scrambling. I was like, what is going on? I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's how that went. So I can't wait for y'all to hear it next week. So definitely be sure to tune in to episode 50. Oh my God, we're at 50 episodes next week. I didn't even realize that, which is going to be coming out on August 16th. And it's also going to be my first podcast sponsor ad read in next week's episode. So lots of exciting things happening around here. I'm very thrilled about that. But after my interview with next week's guest, I randomly decided to stop drinking coffee on Wednesday. Coffee hasn't ever negatively impacted my health as far as I know, but I don't like the idea of being dependent on anything, whether that be medicine, a drink, whatever it is, food, whatever. I like flexibility. And after hearing my friend's experience, which you'll hear about next week, it sounded kind of like a good idea to cut out coffee. So before Wednesday, I would probably have a 20 ounce Yeti tumbler of cold brew mixed with almond milk every morning. If you're not familiar with cold brew, it's very concentrated and strong. So as you can imagine, going cold turkey was probably a bad idea. I felt fine most of the day, but right before bed, I started getting a twinge of a headache. But that's not all that happened that night. As I was settling in to go to sleep, I noticed my room was fairly warm, even after turning down the thermostat to 68 degrees an hour before. I usually keep my house around 72 and 73 during the day and then turn down the temp to 68, at least downstairs, because I love my room really cold when I sleep. I checked the thermostat and it was set at 68, but it was reading 75. And like every few minutes, it kept getting hotter. (laughs) It was already dark outside, so I couldn't really investigate, but I could see that both AC units were powered on. The fans were running. My downstairs just wasn't cooling. And so I called my stepdad who walked me through some stuff, but ultimately we decided there wasn't anything I could do except for call the HVAC company to come assess and fix whatever needed fixing. So sadly, because it's summer and everything's breaking, the earliest they could get me onto the schedule was Saturday, which ended up being fine though, because I do have two units. I have one that services the upstairs of my house and one that services the downstairs and the upstairs unit was working properly. So my dog Reese's and I just both slept upstairs for the next three nights. She sleeps in a crate in the laundry room usually, which is right off of the, uh, right off of my bedroom. So I just put her in the guest bedroom's bathroom. 
And I think she was scared because it was a new environment she hadn't slept in before. And she was like, why are you putting me in here? But luckily she didn't have to stay in there too long. And thankfully my office and gym are both set up upstairs. So I could really do everything I needed to do upstairs, which was nice. The only thing I really had to do downstairs was to cook and eat and to take Reese's outside. So I moved myself upstairs, got all my clothes, skincare, makeup, all of that. But anyway, back to the coffee conversation. Wednesday night, I had a headache, but Thursday morning, I woke up with what I could only describe as the worst mock hangover of all time. The headache was so severe. And when I went downstairs to get something to drink, the heat, because it, you know, my AC wasn't working, made me feel so nauseous and weak. I had to lay horizontal on the couch for a few minutes to see if it was just like temporary, but I ultimately had to get back in bed. And for those of you who don't know me, this never happens to me. I never, ever, ever do this. I rarely get sick. And even when I do get sick, I usually can power through and like still work out and work. It's rare that I get sick enough to like get in bed again. But that was not happening (laughs) on Thursday. I ended up not getting out of bed until like 930, which is pretty late for me, especially on a weekday. I normally wake up at like 6 or 630. I managed to pull myself together to get some work done later in the day, but I wasn't my most productive self, as you can imagine, and felt pretty crappy all day long. Because I felt so bad, I decided to give myself a tiny bit of cold brew I had left just to get through the day. But since Thursday, I have not had a sip of coffee. On Friday, I woke up and had half a Diet Dr. Pepper, which has some caffeine, but I think it's like significantly less than a cup of coffee. And then I had some black tea around lunchtime, which also has some caffeine. And since then, each day I've cut down more and more. So yesterday, all I had was a single Diet Coke. And this morning, I didn't have anything. Those first two days were absolutely brutal. But I have to be honest and share, I had more energy this morning than I've had in a while. Usually when I wake up, I feel sluggish getting up and taking Reese's on a walk. It's like as I get older, it's taking me longer and longer to wake up. It's kind of thrilling to know my body can power through and get shit done without caffeine. And I usually, like I said, I feel sluggish in the morning. It takes me a while to wake up. I also sometimes have to come back and like take a break from my very leisurely walk with Reese's before working out in the gym. Didn't have to do that today. I was powering through and I'm just really happy about that. And it was worth the very bad two days. I will tell you guys, it feels like you're getting the flu or a hangover or something, but I feel good now, and now I know I don't have to have coffee in the morning, so that's sort of exciting. I'll probably still enjoy the occasional caffeinated beverage, but I've just, I've decided to stop drinking coffee every morning, and so far it's feeling like a good decision. I will, of course, report back if that changes, though. On Friday, I took the afternoon off and went to this place called Lee Harvey's Dive-In with Emma, who is the voice behind the That's What E Said podcast. Give that a listen. And it was so much fun. It's basically like a community pool that you can visit even if you don't live in the neighborhood. So the vibes are very Palm Springs. Think thick stripes of orange and white, white umbrellas and cabanas, bright green turf. They've got a full bar, which you can walk up to to order, or you can wait for a server to come around and check on you at your cabana or lounger if you've paid for those. But on the website, it's described as a private swim social club, but you can buy day passes in addition to just becoming a member. So that's what we did. We just paid for day passes and individual adult day passes cost $15 and they grant you access to the pool. But if you want a chair or a cabana, that's an additional fee. And then a season membership for a single adult is 350 and that's from June to the end of fall. And it includes priority access to those cabanas and sun loungers. But anyway, it's so fun. I'll definitely be going back. We only went on a Friday, so I don't know what the weekends look like and how busy and crazy it gets, but it was like very comfortable. There weren't too many people there. It was great for a Friday afternoon, especially if you work from home and get get away. I won't be buying a season membership just because I don't think I'd go every week, but it's definitely a great option for those days that I'm really craving a pool day and don't have regular access to one. I don't have a pool. And most of my friends don't have pools. So this is a great solution for that. But definitely be sure to check out Lee Harvey's Dive-In if you're in Dallas and looking for a pool day hang. That night I had dinner with Emma, Laura, and Whitney at Il Bracco, which is my go-to Italian spot in Dallas. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I normally order the spicy Gemelli, but decided to branch out and try chicken piccata this time. 
I honestly don't think I've ever ordered anything but pasta there. So I feel like this was really branching out for me. It was so divine though. It was buttery and lemony and the perfect breaded coating that was just drenched, drowning in the sauce. It was so good. There was no shortage of capers on top, but the bacotta at Il Bracco was so good. In fact, it inspired me to buy the ingredients at the store on Sunday to try and make it at home this week. So I'm going to try my hand at it. I'm going to be using the New York Times recipe as a guide. So I'll let you know if it's a good one, but I think I'm going to make that tonight. On Saturday, I had to wait around all day for the HVAC people to come fix my AC. So I spent most of the day watching TV while also doing an Instagram Q&A, which I know isn't too exciting, but I feel like it's been a while since I've done a thorough one like that on my Instagram stories. I get so caught up with computer work and stuff that I don't feel like I post on stories as much as I used to. So that felt like a good opportunity to do that. And then that night I got drinks at Park House with my friend Katie, and then we met our friends Taylor and Megan for dinner at Jose. And I've got to be honest, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but I do not like that restaurant. I've been there so many times, and it's not that the food is bad. It's just not my favorite version of Mexican food. Like I love Javier's, which is much more of a continental Mexican cuisine. And then I love Odele and Rafa's, which are more Tex-Mex. Both of those absolutely love them. But Jose is more of like a Guadalajara inspired restaurant, which I guess I just don't enjoy the preparation of the food as much. I do like some of their salads, but like a salad's a salad. But I've always been left a little underwhelmed by the hot dishes and entrees. This time, because like I said, haven't enjoyed the entrees in the past, I got the ahi tuna tostadas, which are in the kind of starter section of the menu. And they arrived in what looks like a blue sauce. All I could think of was in Bridget Jones, when she makes that leek soup and ties it together with a blue string and then the soup turns blue, it just didn't look appetizing. I ate it and it tasted fine, but I would not order it again. It just like when you order something raw like that, you sort of want it to look as fresh and juicy and delicious as possible just because of the element that it's raw, but it was, it was not, so (laughs) it did not look appealing, but Anyway, all of that to say, Jose is not a bad restaurant. It's just not my cup of tea. So many of my friends love it, which is why I've been there so many times, but I've just never left feeling wowed. After dinner, Katie and I went back to Park House, but I only stayed for one more drink before going home. The drinks were already hitting me. I didn't want to feel bad because I'd been feeling bad the last few days. So I think I was in bed by, you know, 1130. It's kind of great. And then I woke up, felt fine and started my day. On Sunday, I did not do much of anything. I mostly just hung out with my dog Reese's. I did work out and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that later on because it relates to something else, but I mostly just hung out with my dog Reese's and watched TV. It was a very nice casual weekend with not too many plans, but I did get to see some people. It was just the way I like it. (laughs) Good mix of being lazy and being social. Just perfect. Now let's move into some recent recs and reviews. So last week I started listening to the Blonde Files podcast, which is hosted by Ariel or Ariel Lore. I honestly had no idea who she was or what it was about, but saw somewhere on Instagram, somebody had recommended one of her episodes and the topic was about plastic surgery. Naturally, I was intrigued, so I decided to give it a try. I was immediately hooked and now I've listened to at least 10 of her recent episodes. I absolutely love her cadence when speaking and her voice is super smooth and calming. It's like the perfect podcast to listen to on my morning walks when I'm waking up or while I'm doing work. The podcast is all about wellness, which initially I thought I wasn't going to be into because I'm just, I'm not really like a trend chaser in terms of crazy wellness stuff, but she talks about everything. She talks about beauty, skincare, diet, fitness, plastic surgery, so much more. And My favorite episodes so far have been with celebrity trainer, nutritionist, Harley Pasternak, the Sculpt Society founder, Megan Roop, and plastic surgeon, Dr. Ryan Neinstein. Neinstein? Neinstein? I have also listened to a couple of her solo Q&A episodes and loved those too. I just really enjoy her approach to each topic and she is just, she's a well-balanced perspective. And she's very transparent and honest, which makes her even more likable, especially when discussing things like plastic surgery and what it takes to look like so many of the women in Hollywood, which she is around and has been around because she has been married to a director, producer, 
writer, <laughs> actor the last six years. She is currently in the middle of a divorce, it sounds like, but she was married to Chuck Lore. Um, if you want to Google him. But anyway, so I just really like her perspective. I love her voice. I think the show is really well put together and well thought out. It, everything's very thoughtful. I highly recommend it. But her episodes with Harley Pasternak, who is also her trainer, inspired me to change up my routine over the weekend. So he recommends people get a minimum of 12,000 steps a day or walk five miles. But depending on your fitness goals, you might want to shoot for 14,000 steps or more. And that's That's something he tells all of his celebrity clients to do. And so on Sunday, I walked Reese's. We walked about a mile and a half. And then I followed that up with a very long walk on my Peloton tread. I was not walking fast at all. I was probably walking 3.5 miles per hour. I mean, I guess that was fast enough. I wasn't walking like speed walking though and was listening to podcasts while I walked. So it was really enjoyable. And the time went by really fast. I ended up getting a total of six miles done, including that walk with Reese's. And at the end of the day, had managed to reach 18,000 steps, which is kind of crazy because unless I'm traveling or sightseeing, it's rare I even hit over 10,000 steps in a day. And I blame most of that on the fact that I work from home. But the truth is I have a treadmill and I'm walking Reese's every day. And there's just really no excuse for me to be so sedentary, even though my job is mostly sitting at a desk all day long. So I do my 30 minute strength workouts and some days I also do a 20 or 30 minute walk or run workout on the Peloton tread, but I wouldn't say I'm as consistent with those as I should be. So I've decided to create a daily step goal for myself of 14,000 steps per Harley's recommendation. And as of 11 a.m. today, I've already hit 12,000 steps thanks to my walk with Reese's and 40 minutes on the treadmill after my strength workout. The rest of the steps I'll just get from walking around my house. And what I loved about his suggestion of the step goal was that it doesn't have to be high intensity or even a mix of walking and running. You can walk as slow as you want. He said his wife sets her laptop on her treadmill and works and takes calls all day while walking a very slow two miles per hour. She doesn't even break a sweat and will wear real clothes because sometimes she's doing video calls. But by the end of the day, she's walked eight or nine miles. And while I'm not trying to do that, that seems that excessive. It just goes to show that even really low effort walks make a huge difference and can change your body. So anyway, I'm trying that daily step count for a few weeks to see how I feel. That paired with cutting out coffee and eating healthier, hopefully I'll start to actually see the results from my resistance workouts. I feel like I've, not that I've plateaued, I think that I'm getting stronger and I am looking better, but it's just slow going since I haven't been eating super healthy. And aside from those strength workouts, I don't feel like I've been moving my body all that much. So one other thing Harley recommended in the episode was to focus on cutting sugar out over cutting out carbohydrates. That will be particularly hard for me to do since I have such a sweet tooth and also have a deeply embedded fear of carbs thanks to diet culture of the last two decades. But maybe as I start settling into this new step routine and no coffee routine, I'll give something else healthy a try, like reducing my added sugar intake. All of that to say, definitely be sure to check out the Blonde Files podcast. I'm now a huge fan. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm learning lots of little things from experts she interviews, but also on her, just her own experience on how to improve my health and general wellness. While we're on the subject of food and wellness, I wanted to share a Trader Joe's rack I discovered last week. I saw this small packet of cauliflower slims while grabbing some produce and decided to give them a try. I used to make the Trader Joe's cauliflower pizza crust all the time, so I figured I'd like these too. But the cauliflower slims are meant to be, I guess, a bread replacement for sandwiches and other things like that. They're gluten-free and they're made with cauliflower, eggs, Parmesan, skim milk, cheese cultures, salt, and yeast. And a pair of the Slims is only 100 calories. I made a sandwich with them for lunch last week with turkey, avocado, iceberg lettuce, and sort of a mix of mayo and this delicious basil cream spread from Eatsy's. And it was so good. I really enjoyed it. And I liked that it wasn't overly filling like a thick piece of bread would be. I've only eaten them cold, but it definitely seems like you could toast them if you wanted them to be a little more crunchy or just wanted a warm sandwich. So definitely give them a try the next time you go to Trader Joe's. Last but not least, I watched Blackbird on Apple TV. At dinner Saturday night, my friend Taylor recommended this show to me, knowing that we like a lot of the same (laughs) kinds of TVs and or TV shows and movies. I ended up watching the entire limited series Sunday afternoon and evening. It's only six episodes long. 
but the episodes are pretty heavy and creepy, so you may not want to binge them like I did. Blackbird is about a convicted drug dealer who is recruited by the FBI while in prison to get a confession from a suspected serial killer in a maximum security prison in exchange for his freedom. The acting is phenomenal, both from Taron Edgerton. I think that's how you say his name. He plays Jimmy Keene, the guy that they recruit. And then Paul Walter Hauser plays the serial killer, Larry Hall. This show is part mystery, part psychological thriller, but it's based on a true story, which is wild that this happens. (laughs) Not every episode is scary, but there's a prison riot episode that's very gory. And the final episode will definitely have you pretty jumpy. But overall, the show is fantastic. There were a couple of slower moments throughout the show, but they're purposeful and they don't last very long. So Definitely a great show. It'll keep you on the edge of your seat. It's great if you like thrillers, if you like mysteries, if you like anything having to do with true crime. I just, I can't recommend it enough. And it's only six hours of your life. So there you go. feels like the start of something new. Maybe thanks to growing up with summer breaks and then all of the back to school hoopla. Even though I'm not in school anymore, I always feel the need to hit the reset button in August to reflect, get organized, and plan out the rest of my year. Q4 and the holiday season are a big time for my business, specifically on my blog and Instagram. And now that I have the podcast, I especially feel like I need to review what's happened so far this year and strategize for the next few months so that I'm working smarter and not harder. And so I thought this week I'd take you through how I review and plan and get organized for the season ahead, as well as share some of my goals for Q4. So first, let's review what happened so far this year. Were there any successes, failures, any areas for improvement or potential growth? This is also a good time to take a temperature check and see if I'm still feeling fulfilled and challenged by the work I'm doing. I'll also analyze the data I have so far from this year. For the podcast, that might mean looking at the number of listens on each episode to see what topics seem most interesting to you guys. Also, what kind of content got the most engagement on the podcast Instagram page. And then in terms of my blog and Instagram account, my fashion Instagram account, that would be reviewing which LTK posts perform the best, which brands I earn the most from in affiliate revenue, and what kinds of content on both platforms got the most engagement from readers and followers. Okay, so looking back, some successes that come to mind include reducing my workload on my blog and newsletter and not have it affect my revenue. That was something I worried about when I decided to make those changes. Another one would be I had my first true guests on the podcast and figured out how to have guests and all of that stuff. So that was exciting. My number of blog and Instagram partners increased this year after a decrease in both 2020 and 2021 for obvious reasons, but it's exciting to see that those numbers are growing again and I'm making more money again. (laughs) I've also experimented more with reels and I'm getting decent engagement on those. I have created three capsule wardrobes so far this year, and I had a really good month with the Nordstrom anniversary sale. And then finally, I grew my listenership on the podcast enough to get my first sponsor. So all of those things I've been very happy with this year and things that I would definitely call successes so far. One failure of mine so far this year has been not keeping up with my Q&A newsletter, which I used to do weekly, and then I switched it to monthly and then stopped it all together somewhere after that. I'm usually very consistent and I feel like the people who follow me have sort of come to expect that. So I feel like I may be letting people down by not sticking with it. I also feel like I failed a little bit in terms of the amount I'm sharing on my Instagram stories. I feel like in the last month I've gotten better about it. Like I've really put more of an effort into it, but even though my income hasn't suffered from posting less, I do think the amount I post on stories directly affects how many people can actually see my stories. Like I feel like Instagram shows you the accounts that are posting often. So the more I post, the more visibility I get and the more visibility I get, the more I grow. It's hard to keep up creating content and posting that content on every channel all the time. Also, while still doing a lot of work behind the scenes for the podcast, writing and shooting blog content, everyday computer work and collages. There's just a lot that goes into all of the stuff that I do. And sometimes things fall to the wayside. And this year that has been 
Instagram stories, and my newsletter. As far as growth potential goes, I'd really like to see the listenership on my podcast continue to increase. There was a bit of a summer slump with listeners, and I'd imagine that's partly because people aren't in their usual routines during the summer. More people are traveling, kids are out of school and on summer break, and so I guess just everybody's listening schedules aren't as consistent as they usually are during the school year. The same can be said for Christmas break. It always happens around times when school is out, which I guess makes sense. Uh, I'm just really hoping that we'll be able to pick up more momentum during the fall season. So with that said, please share the podcast. If you're enjoying it, pass it along to friends, family members, coworkers, or anyone else you think might enjoy it. Word of mouth recommendations really go a long way. So your help is appreciated. (laughs) While I'm certainly happy about the continued slow growth of my blog and Instagram, I would really like to hit 100,000 followers this year on Instagram. As I've mentioned many times before, it's really hard to grow on Instagram, especially if you're not doing things like loop giveaways or being tagged by bigger accounts all the time. I'm just over 2000 people away from hitting that 100K mark after a decade on the platform. (laughs) I know it seems like a silly arbitrary number. And like, once I hit that, you'd think I'm going to make a goal of a million. That's really not it. It's just been a goal of mine to hit 100,000 for so long that I would just love to finally reach it. So if you're enjoying following me on Instagram, please share that page with your friends. For those of you who aren't already following me there, I'm at Merritt Beck. It's M-E-R-R-I-T-T-B-E-C-K. So definitely follow if you're not already following me there. As far as feeling challenged and fulfilled, I've definitely felt challenged, especially by this podcast. It's forced me to acquire and flex a few different muscles instead of skills and has taken up way more of my time than I originally anticipated. And that's all good. But because of that, I've had to rejigger how I plan out my week. I have to dedicate certain days to certain types of content. And I never really had to do that before. And generally, I just have to be more efficient with how I work day to day. One thing I'm really grateful for about this job is that I always feel fulfilled, mostly because of the constant interaction with my community and hearing feedback about how my content has helped you guys or just how much you're enjoying it. That is really fulfilling to me, creating content for you guys that you love. So connecting with y'all is so rewarding and it is a big part of why I'm excited to wake up in the morning and love what I do day in and day out. The final step in my review of the year thus far would be to analyze the data I have from LTK, Anchor, Instagram, et cetera, which honestly I haven't done yet. But once I do that, I'll have the information I need to better strategize what kind of content I want to put forward in the last quarter of the year. Now that we've reviewed the year so far, let's talk goals for the rest of the year. I always like to set tangible goals that I actually think I can reach. Nothing too lofty or pipe dreamy. I want something that I can actually get to in a shorter amount of time. Um, I think setting goals like that is important because it makes you really feel accomplished versus obviously big goals. Setting lofty goals is also good, but it's just they might not always be attainable. And I think it's important to set attainable goals to keep you feeling motivated and excited about your work. So One of those goals is I would love to grow the podcast, both in the number of listeners and the number of sponsors. I can't get one without the other. So I need to figure out some new ways to get my podcast out there for new ears to hear it. As always, you guys sharing the podcast with friends, family members, coworkers, et cetera, is always very appreciated. So please continue to do that. Word of mouth recommendations truly are the best. Another goal I have is that I need to figure out a better way to organize my desk area. I have been recording the podcast in my little cocktail lounge downstairs since I launched it last year, but I hid all of the equipment ahead of my birthday party last month, and I actually prefer it that way. Now I can use the space and keep the doors open. It's right off the entryway, so it'd be nice to be able to actually use that space and not have it closed off just because I have equipment everywhere. I can still pull out the equipment for when I have guests come over to record here in Dallas, but for my solo episodes, there's really no need to take over that space and make it unusable every week. So since my birthday, I moved the equipment I need to record solo episodes upstairs to my office, and it is just sitting on the left side of my desk. It definitely works, and I like that setup, but with my laptop, monitor, monitorizer, lamp, other desk accessories, and the podcast stuff, it feels pretty cramped. I just need to take some time to streamline the space a bit so it doesn't feel so cluttered. 
I might need to get some kind of vertical shelving situation or a stand that removes some of the clutter from the general surface area of the desk, like paper, stapler, tape, stuff that I don't reach for every day. (laughs) So uh, that's something I want to do this fall. I'd also like to start looking for a website designer to give and just kind of branding person to give my blog at the Style Scribe a makeover next year. So now that I'm doing less posts per week on there, I'd like to streamline the site a bit more and make it even easier to navigate. Right now, there's just so many tabs and things happening in the navigation menu. And I don't know, I just feel like it could really use a makeover. I've been doing my blog for nearly 12 years now, and I've made some little tweaks and changes to the branding and site design every once in a while over the years, but I think it's time for a true overhaul to make it feel more like me today. I want it to feel more adult, and there's just something about it that feels old, not adult, but like it feels young (laughs) and like not old fashioned per se, but just like an old version of me, if that makes sense. I just really want to get a fresh look entirely new logo, entirely new layout for the website, streamline it a bit, just, you know, give it a more grown-up appeal. Another goal I have is to figure out what I want to do with my newsletter. I definitely want to keep it up, and I'm currently sending out three newsletters a week, of which two feature newsletter exclusives. The weekly Q&A newsletter that I mentioned earlier on became more of a burden this year. I was doing it every week and it took me an entire day to put together and I kept getting the exact same questions over and over and over again. And so it became unfun. (laughs) It was no longer fun for me to do. And so I just kind of stopped doing it over the summer and it wasn't on purpose. I just sort of like forgot about it since I switched it to monthly and then, you know, didn't want to do it. So I just didn't. With that said, I want to think about other newsletter exclusives that I could offer that would be helpful for my subscribers. My blog and my newsletter are two channels that are completely under my control. And unlike my Instagram, which is at the mercy of algorithms and what Instagram wants to do with the feed, I can control everything on my blog and newsletter. And it's something that I actively want to keep up. So I need to create content there, but I want to find a way to make the newsletter exclusive content more manageable for me so it doesn't feel so burdensome week after week. So I'll be thinking on that. Another goal of mine is to do more reels on Instagram. Ideally, I'd set a goal of shooting two a week, which sounds like it would be easy, probably from an outsider perspective. But with the amount of other things I have on my list to do each day, it's getting a lot harder than you would think to get those in. They don't need to be anything fancy necessarily, but I think even just doing outfit videos like I've been doing on TikTok or quick little product highlights like the one I did last week with my new mock and mock shoes, I feel like that would be fairly easy to do. I just haven't done it yet. So with all of that said, my goal going forward is to do two per week, even if they're really easy, simple reels. I could even just do little recipes. I don't know. I need to make more of a plan about it because otherwise I'll forget and not do it. So need to put it on my calendar. I need to do like a content calendar for it, but that is, that is a goal. And then finally, I'd love to plan out my holiday content calendar in like the next month, like as early as possible, as soon as possible. Obviously this includes gift guides for the blog and reels for Instagram, but I also need to figure out what I want to do on the podcast in December. Many podcasters take off that month or at least a couple of weeks off in December because people are generally listening less when they're home for the holidays, busy with holiday parties and errands and such. But since this is a newer podcast, I feel like I should keep the episodes coming out consistently to keep that momentum up. But I may also want to give myself a break during the holidays so I don't have to work when I'm home with family. So I need to figure all of that out soon so I can have sort of a content plan and pre-record things if necessary. And I know it seems early to be talking about that, but I just booked a trip and I'm not going to share all the details yet, but I just booked a trip for it's the, I leave the day after black Friday, I think November 26th. And I won't come back until like, let me look at the calendar. What day was it? Uh, December 6th. So that's like a crazy time for me. It's cyber week. It's right before Christmas. Um, so I'm going to have a lot of content going on already and it's just kind of a wild time to be going abroad, (laughs) but I'm doing it. And so I do need to plan stuff out and pre-record and all of that. If I'm going to do it, I need to start now. So (laughs) unrelated to work, I'd also really love to finally purchase a breakfast table and chairs so that my downstairs can be fully furnished. 
It feels like such an obvious empty space right now. And I'd love to have that completed as soon as possible. So I'm hoping to do that before the end of the year. (laughs) Also, while I'm not fully ready to organize my closet for fall winter, I did start moving things around and plucked quite a bit out to sell on Poshmark and also to donate. I always try to do a mini closet clean out every season just to keep things fresh and make sure I'm not holding on to anything unnecessary that I haven't worn in a long time. I usually don't pull all that much, but it's good to just like keep my eyes on what I have and get rid of things that I'm pretty sure I'm not going to wear again. So I don't have time to do a Poshmark sale at the moment, but I will let you guys know when I do so you can shop. So don't worry, I will give you a heads up on here. Honestly, I feel better just having talked through my review of the year so far and the goals that I'm setting for myself for the final months of 2022. Saying it out loud makes me feel some level of accountability and like I'll actually accomplish some of those things that I've set out to do. So I hope y'all got something out of this or at the very least enjoyed hearing it. we've made it to the beck and call segment, which is an advice slash Q&A segment I do at the end of every episode. If you have a question for me, you can call into the hotline at 214-620-0473. You can also email questions to info at beckandcallpodcast.com or go to the contact page on beckandcallpodcast.com to submit it through the contact form there. I typically answer one voicemail question and two email submissions each week. So keep your questions coming. Eventually, I'd love to start doing bonus episodes and fun little extras featuring more of these Q&A questions. So I need them to keep coming. So (laughs) I need your help to do that. So keep calling in, keep emailing. I love this segment and I know you guys do too. Let's get into this week's voicemail. Hi, Merit. My name is Bethany, and I think I found you through Kate Kennedy's podcast. I really enjoyed when you talked about royals and have been a follower since. So I've kind of a funny question for you, or I'd like your opinion on, and that is Greek life. So um, I understand you were in a sorority. I was in a sorority in college. I went to a pretty small school in Florida, so Greek life was just what you did, and, like, everyone I knew was part of it. So I just think about right now, do you think sororities are going to make it like through Gen Z? I think about, you know, people are wanting them to make comments, like my sorority included, their thoughts and feelings, just make a statement in the lack of anything is really saddening. And of course, like, as time goes on, I look back at my time in a sorority with a different lens. Of course, like, Honestly, when I was a junior and senior, I was so done. Like, if I had to go to one more freaking song practice for recruitment, like, I was so over it. So, um, yeah, I just want to know if you think that they're going to continue on. You know, Alabama Rush Talk excluded, I, Gen Z just seems so confident and self-identifying. I don't think Greek life fits into that equation. So, anyway, and on a positive note, if you have any, like, fun experiences or stories to share also in your time in Greek life, I'd love to hear it. Of course, like, I also had a great time. I met my husband through it, like so many friends. It was awesome. But, you know, as time goes on, you think about things differently. So thanks and love your show. Bye. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm so glad to hear you enjoy the podcast. Yes, I was in a sorority at SMU and I absolutely loved it. Several of my closest friends today were sorority sisters of mine in college and being in a sorority added so much to my college experience. So naturally, I'm grateful for my years there. SMU is a fairly small private school, and being in Texas, being Greek was a huge part of the experience. Could you not be Greek and still have a good time at SMU? Sure, but such a large percentage of the student population is involved, and I think I would have felt left out had I not participated in Greek life. Literally every party, formal, away weekend, tailgate party, All of those were intertwined with fraternities and sororities on campus, so I honestly can't imagine what my experience would have been like without it. There were so many built-in activities as part of Greek life on campus, so there was literally always something fun to do. I do wonder what the college experience is like for schools that don't have Greek life or where not a lot of the students are involved. So like even at a massive school, like at UT, where only a small percentage is Greek, it's still a huge part of the experience for those who participate. 
it may be a small percentage of people who are Greek, but it's still hundreds of people. I don't know, thousands. I don't know how many fraternities and sororities there are at Texas, but um, it's still everyone I know who's gone to Texas has been part of the Greek system. So I like you was pretty over recruitment and rush my senior year, but honestly, I loved being in a sorority and was definitely a willing participant in all of the activities throughout the year, every year. I loved the sense of community it provided while I was at school, especially just being away from family. So that's sort of nice. Well, I do agree with you that younger generations seem to be more self-actualized. The Greek system isn't just about finding your people. I do think there's something to be said for just a built-in community and sense of belonging, especially when you're away from family, but it also can just be really fun. (laughs) I obviously can't speak to anyone else's experience. And I know people who participated in Greek life who didn't love it as much as I did, but if it works for you, it can be really great. And I'm not sure all schools operate the same way, but at SMU, Greek life runs the social calendar. At least it did when I was there. The fraternities and sororities had fun formals, date parties, day parties, football tailgate parties, away weekends, um, charity 5Ks, literally everything that happened on campus, it felt like was run by a fraternity or a sorority. It's a great way to meet new people, make friends, date, etc. One thing I do think has changed since I was in school is that certain behaviors and things that sometimes happen in fraternities and sororities are now being called out. They should be. So things like hazing, for example, have been commonplace at many schools for decades. But thanks to that sense of self-actualization, access to information and social media, people have a voice and feel like they can speak up more than they probably felt they could in the past. I was very lucky to not have experienced any sort of hazing in my sorority when I went through Rush. But surprisingly, my house at SMU just got kicked off campus through 2024 for that exact thing. After I heard the details of what went down, I'm not at all surprised by the outcome. It was really, really bad. The girls involved definitely deserved to be punished, but it's a shame that the whole sorority had to suffer because of some very bad apples. And like I said, I did not experience hazing. So that has, I guess, been something new that has happened since I was at school. And, you know, that wasn't the experience that I had. So things can change, obviously. I have a feeling we're going to see either a lot more people come out with this kind of thing as years go by, like things are going to be reported more, or we're going to start seeing less people participate in Greek life. One thing I think is great about Gen Z is that they're willing to put up with less. If this had happened to me in college, I'm not sure I would have known what to do or how to handle it. I'm not sure if I would have gone along with it or if I would have reported it. I don't know if I had the confidence to speak up, speak out for that kind of thing. But I think today, thanks to the internet, there's so many resources out there now that people can get information from to make the best decisions for them. I do think because of those resources and access to information, people are hopefully less influenced by, you know, the the stuff like hazing and tradition and will seek out their own answers. So we might be seeing more reports of that over the next few years as, you know, people get more confident and use their voice if, you know, they experience anything bad that's going on. But otherwise, I think people will continue to use the Greek system. I think it's helpful for making friends. I think it's great for providing a little bit of structure to your college routine in terms of a social life. Right now, it's obviously still going strong, at least at many Southern colleges, as evidenced by the dozens of TikToks I think we've all seen during recruitment this last week. But like I said before, I am grateful for the experience that I had in a sorority. I did not experience hazing or anything like that. And I made a many a wonderful friendship through the Greek system at SMU. So only time will tell on how, you know, modern day affects how the Greek system is seen and how that evolves and changes. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Moving on to a couple of email submissions. This one reads... Hi, Merritt. I've been listening to your podcast since you started it last year, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I've purchased tickets to Wimbledon for next summer for my husband and I, and I'm so excited to experience everything that the package has to offer. I know you've lived in London and recently visited, and that is why I'm reaching out to you about this. 
Do you think it would be better to stay somewhere closer to the tournament or stay in the city center and work out transportation? Do you know anything about the neighborhoods around Wimbledon? We're just going to Wimbledon one day for sure and maybe doing a grounds pass another day. Thank you so much for your help. Can't wait. Okay, so if you're only going to be visiting Wimbledon for one or two days, I would stay in London and either take the train or a taxi to Wimbledon on the days you're going. The train takes about 30 to 40 minutes from Gloucester Road Station, which is the station I used to use when I was living in Kensington, whereas a taxi might take you 20, 25 minutes from that spot, depending on traffic. The time it takes will obviously depend on where in the city you're staying, though. So if you stay in Soho or Marleybone, it may take a little bit longer, but not much. It's really easy to get there. The train would certainly be cheaper. It is slower, but it just depends on how much time you want to give yourself. So if you have to leave really early in the morning, you may prefer to take a taxi and do a shorter trip. I'm just not sure how long you'll be there. So if you're in London for a quick trip, I would absolutely want to fit in as much of London as I could. There's so much to see and do around the city, and there are a ton of amazing restaurants and places to shop. While I'm sure Wimbledon has great restaurants, it's not a huge area, and I would imagine it's going to be very, very touristy and crowded because of the tournament, meaning reservations will be hard to come by. You're likely to just deal with crowds on all of the streets near the tournament. So I would probably prefer to spend the day at the tournament and then I'd want to leave the area and experience something totally different after that. Um, I would just think it would be less enjoyable to stay there during a time when it's very, very touristy. Um, So just consider that. I don't think you can go wrong either way, but I think if it's a short trip and you want to see a lot of London, I would stay in London. But if you don't care and you want easy access and don't want to have to worry about a 30 to 40 minute train ride or a 20 to 25 minute taxi, stay in Wimbledon. All right. Last but not least, here is the final submission. Hi, Merit. I've been enjoying the podcast immensely. I admire your confidence and your advice is always spot on. Speaking of advice, I'm in a bit of a conundrum. I have a friend who is also a coworker of mine that has become increasingly toxic. We used to be really close, but I feel like she's been so caught up in the stress and drama of work that our relationship has soured. She only texts me to ask if I've heard any tea, to compare compensation, complain about our team, or to cancel plans. I was trying to be patient and understanding, but now I dread hearing from her. Our company is big enough that we work on separate teams, for now anyway, but her texts and calls are grating on me and I've been less gentle with my responses. Any advice to help me stay sane is welcome. Thank you for writing in and for your kind words about the podcast. I'm so happy to hear you're enjoying it. So this is actually something I've experienced before. My first job out of college was as a marketing and sales associate for an outsourcing company. And a sorority sister of mine was the other marketing and sales associate. She had the job first and she's the one who actually told me about the job, which was great. And it was fun for a while, and we even shared an office at one point. But as things sometimes do, we ended up not clicking well as coworkers, greatest friends, not greatest coworkers, and things soured between us. I'm very type A, and she's very type B, and we were working on a lot of the same stuff, which eventually became really frustrating as I felt like I was kicking ass and working really hard while she seemed to be doing very little. And we would often get congratulated as a team when something went well, because we both kind of had the same job and were doing the same things, sort of like a group effort, I guess. And I felt like I was the one putting in the real effort. So that was something that frustrated me. And then on top of that, there was some drama happening outside of work that was unrelated to me. So my friends didn't want to be around her either. So overall, the whole (laughs) friendship and coworker situation soured. But By the time things soured, I'd already decided I was moving to Houston to live in the same city as my boyfriend at the time. So I luckily didn't have to endure that discomfort for too long. For your particular issue, I think there are a couple of things you can do to get her off your back. So first, if you were friends with her before you worked together or just like really you were good friends, even though you were coworkers, I do feel like there's room for a conversation about how this kind of communication is making you uncomfortable. Put a time on your calendar where y'all can grab coffee and be honest with her in person that the amount of work-related texts and complaints have been a little overwhelming to you. 
I would say something like, I want to be supportive and I'm here if you really need to talk, like if you're really having trouble, but I'd really prefer if we kept the texting about work to a minimum. This could be, this could open up a deeper conversation about how she's looking for a new position, at which point you could offer advice or talk, help, help talk her through her options. Or if she's just complaining to complain, she'll know it annoys you and hopefully stop doing it. Focusing on how you feel versus what she's doing wrong or what you perceive she's doing wrong is always the better move. So tell her how you feel. Don't tell her she's annoying you, just saying it's stressing you out, you feel overwhelmed or whatever. If after this conversation, she continues to text you this stuff and ignores that boundary, I think at that point, it's 100% okay to turn off your notifications for her texts and calls and to ignore her when she sends that stuff to you. If you've made it clear that you've set a boundary in a kind way and she doesn't respect it, set another one that's crystal clear. Um, And, you know, that isn't the nicest thing to do, but I, I am somebody who absorbs other people's anxiety. I'm not an anxious person, person by nature, but when other people are constantly complaining and stressing about stuff, I absorb that. So I totally understand feeling overwhelmed by texts that are always complaints. Nobody likes to hear complaints unless they are also complaining. It's like the thing of misery loves company, but if you're the only one who's miserable, nobody else wants to hear about it. So sometimes you just got to remind people that, you know, what they're saying is also affecting you and you can say it in a nice way, but just, you know, say it's overwhelming you or say it's stressing you out and you'd love to maintain the friendship, but just don't want to talk about work anymore. I feel like that's pretty easy. And if she does not respect that boundary, at that point, you can just start ignoring the texts that she sends that are complaints like that. Just don't respond. And if she texts you something else, you can respond to that. And it'll be clear that you're only willing to (laughs) engage with her when she's not complaining about work. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Beck and Call on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast for episode visual guides, shareable audio clips, and more. Thanks again for tuning in, and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.